And so I would like tell my sponsor one and then I'd like look up and see if she was freaking out and then she was okay. So I'd be like, okay, maybe I can go to this next one. It's not, it's a little bit more uncomfortable. She, she started handle. with the easy stuff. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She was flipping out over the easy stuff. It was done. I was out. <laughs> Welcome to the recovery show. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Today we're going to be talking about the fifth step, which says, we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Are your past mistakes your deepest secrets? Do you feel a lot of shame and fear around your part in old situations? Are you having difficulty letting go of resentments? Maybe you just finished your fourth step? Isn't it enough that we listed them in step four? How can we trust someone enough to tell them? Do we have to admit everything? Let's talk about it. And before we begin, we'd like to state that though we may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to the topic of step five. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I will be your host today. Joining me is co-host Kelly. How are you doing today, Kelly? I'm excellent, Spencer. How are you doing? I'm well, pretty good, too. Next to Kelly is co-host Swetha. How are you doing? Great. Thanks, Spencer. All right. The first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our discussion of the topic, Step 5. Following a musical break, we will talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in the meetings we attend and in our lives. We will follow that with brief news about the podcast before closing with another musical break. I'm going to open with a reading from Alcoholics Anonymous, 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, where they're discussing Step 5. Of the things which really bother and burn us, we say nothing. Certain distressing or humiliating memories we tell ourselves ought not be shared with anyone. These will remain our secret. Not a soul must ever know. We hope they'll go to the grave with us. Yet, if AA's experience means anything at all, this is not only unwise, but is actually a perilous resolve. Few muddled attitudes have caused us more trouble than holding back on step five. Even old-timers often pay dearly for skimping this step. They will tell how they tried to carry the load alone, how much they suffered of irritability, anxiety, remorse, and depression, and how, unconsciously seeking relief, they would sometimes accuse even their best friends of the very character defects they themselves were trying to conceal. They always discovered that relief never came by confessing the sins of other people. Everybody had to confess their own. As I said, my name is Spencer, so let's talk about step five. And I want to start with uh, Swetha. Uh, what was the purpose of step five for you, Swetha? I, th- I think before I did the step, before I did step five, it was, the purpose was a lot of fear and irritability. <laughs> but uh, it was, it helped me out in, in that once I finished step four, which is take my own inventory, that I was able to confess it to somebody else and, and do it in person because I, I think if I'd done it over like email or something, I would have imagined the other per- my my sponsor just sh- shutting down the email after like the first thing she ra- reads and just like I can't sponsor this person anymore. She's broken, <laughs> unfixably broken. But seeing her in person and letting letting myself see that you know she's not she didn't have like this look of horror and shock on her face and shaking her head and judging the entire time. That was really good for me to realize that that I'm putting putting myself in perspective, I think, in certain ways. Like I, I had this idea that I was 
a terrible person and I had to do everything I could to make sure no one would ever know. And then I I did my fifth step and then someone knew <laughs> and, and it was okay. And she didn't hate me and she didn't think I was a terrible human being. Uh, at least not that she told me, <laughs> but she's still my sponsor and uh, and I, I feel like a friend of mine. And it, it helped me realize that, you know, maybe I'm not that bad. Maybe it's okay. And it kind of gave me the foundation for not putting so much pressure on myself to be perfect and to to do steps six and seven, which for me were about accepting myself and, and forgiving myself and moving forward from there rather than sticking in the problem, which is a fear of who I am. Yeah. So Kelly, when you first did step five, what did you think the purpose of doing it was? I think the purpose for me was to unload all of the baggage that I had discovered in step four. So the visual that I'm having as I'm thinking about this (laughs) is of a dump truck. And before I came to the program, if something happened and I could really relate to that part in the, um, the 12 and 12 reading, where it just sort of implied that when bad things happen, we just cover it up. We just hide it or we just move past it and don't really work through it or deal with it. And so I feel like, you know, I kind of started with this like empty dump truck, right? And then as I'm working on my step four, I'm uncovering all these little piles of dirt (laughs) and, and, putting them in the dump truck because these are all things that, you know, my defects, my assets, everything that I'm never acknowledged about myself and it's filling up this dump truck. And so at some point I have to get rid of all that stuff. And apparently I get to do that onto somebody else, which is great. <laughs> so, so yeah, it was, to, to me, it was kind of, you know, an unloading or an unburdening in a sense of all this information that I had uncovered about myself. What about you, Spencer? I think when I first did step five, the reason I did it was because that was what people in the program told me I had to do to get better. <laughs> right. I certainly did not want to do it. And and as we'll hear a little later, I, I slacked a little bit on it. But the whole the whole concept of you know telling I mean I I think for a lot of people the hard part is is oh my oh my goodness, I have to tell this to another another person. I have to tell them my deep dark secrets or whatever as as we said in the in the opening and and that's true but the the other part is is telling god and yourself and that was hard for me to really tell myself you know and it, and it's funny because you know I went through step 4 I wrote down all this stuff but then the experience of going back through the pages and pages of stuff I had written for step 4 and building a list of what I considered to be the exact nature of my wrongs, that was difficult. It, it was it was difficult and it was easy. I mean, you know, sort of piling those all up and looking at them as a whole, it's it 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 was a lot easier to do it one at a time and say I've got this thing and then I could like sort of move past that and and to come back and make this whole list and to look at it and say wow here's all this stuff, but also to look at it and my experience was I looked at it and said well. You know, not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. So that was that was kind of good too. The second time I did the step, what I really understood, and and I think this came partly from years of of coming to meetings and finding that when I felt I had been in the wrong, coming to a meeting and talking about 
what I did that I felt was not the person I wanted to be was not in line with the principles of the program that hurt somebody else that I would find relief in doing that. And that until I did that, I would carry that thing with me, whether it was a resentment or a feeling of guilt, I would carry that. But if I could come to, I could come to a meeting, I could talk about what I did and I, and maybe talk about also what I might do to move past that. Uh, then I could let go of it, or I could let go of part of it at least, and it wasn't so heavy on me. And so having had that experience of over and over again, sort of, I would come to a meeting and say, well, i got to tell on myself. <laughs> I did this thing. So having had that experience, then, then I knew that another purpose of step five for me was to, as you say, sort of unload the, unload the stuff. And it's that, I mean, in, in a sense, it's unloading it. Telling somebody else really lightens it, despite the scary bits about deepest, darkest secrets. I think about in the past recovery book under step five, there are questions to help us think about how we're going to work step five, what's maybe holding us back from working step five, what's holding us back from, from really telling the exact nature of all our wrongs. And one of the questions in there, I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't have the book in front of me. It says something like, is there something that you would never want to tell anybody? Can you do it now? And <laughs> What's interesting to me is that the first time I saw that question, the things that the thing that came to my mind as something that I would never want to tell anybody was really easy to talk about the second time I went through. And the thing that I really didn't want to tell anybody the second time it through was something I think I hadn't even recognized the first time. Um, and it was it was my fear around money that was really so hard for me to talk about. And, and then, you know, I, I did my fifth step and was sitting right here and we were talking in the podcast and about shame and it, and it called to mind a really, a, an incident from my past around which I apparently still had some shame. And I realized, you know, I have to go do a fifth step on this. I have to talk about this, but I have to bring it out into the open. And again, that was something that I hadn't actually probably not talked about for about 30 years to anybody. And it obviously was still bothering me. And so I did that. And again, the load is lessened. It's not, it's not so hard. It's not so, you know, that shame, shameful feeling is, is, I wouldn't say it's completely gone, but it's definitely lessened. So I, th I think you have this question, you know, mm -hmm. why, why do I have to like tell God? Doesn't God already know? Was that your question? <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, I, I was. Uh... What's your answer? <laughs> Um, well, back then, as I was mentioning earlier to Kelly, I thought it was because God is a sadist. And uh, now it's not. <laughs> now it's just more that, um, like, uh, doing it consciously. I think it's a, a admitting it to God and, and, and to yourself and to another person and doing it consciously and making the active choice to do that rather than, like, the rest of my life. I mean, my whole life is all about trying to act passive um, and not really being an active participant in my life. And so I passively wanted God to know so I didn't have to actively tell God. Right. And uh, so actively telling my higher power was not just about my, it wasn't about my higher power knowing. I mean, I think it it is in a way, but the primary purpose for me was to actively decide that I wanted to be um, open and clear and clean with my higher power. And rather than just be like, no, you, you know it already. We don't, we don't need to talk about this anymore. <laughs> um, and, uh, 
instead just say, you know, I, I want to come clean. It's, it's more about, I think for me, intent. And, um, and I, I think, uh, holding that intention and, and wanting to be better and wanting to change. And I remember when I was going to do my fifth step, I really was so scared the entire time. Um, and, uh, every time I would, I think I like organized it in level of, discomfort for me <laughs> and so I would like tell my sponsor one and then I'd like look up and see if she was freaking out and then she, she was okay so I'd be like okay maybe I can go to this next one it's not it's a little bit more uncomfortable she, she can, started with the easy stuff uh, yeah <laughs> yeah she was flipping out over the easy stuff it was done I was out <laughs> it was over <laughs> this is not gonna be happening but the thing that I think was important in going from something slightly less comfortable or slightly more comfortable to something slightly less comfortable, going to that next confession was that was definitely because of higher power. And actually, I heard this in an open talk. This guy was talking about, it was an AA open talk that I was listening to online. And this guy said that uh, if you tell a kid that they have to go clean up their room, you could walk in there like five hours later and everything would still be a mess. But if you tell a kid go clean up your toys and throw them out and we're going to get you all new toys. 30 seconds later, you'd have a sparkling clean room <laughs> and some trash bags. And and that's kind of what he associated with the fifth step. But it's not about being like, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a terrible person. I, I've done all these things wrong. It's about this is, you know, this is the inventory and these are the things I want to improve upon and we're going to clean it out and get all new stuff. So because of that, it was like more of a basis for it was not seen as more like a tattling on myself, which, by the way, I used to do when I was little. I would tattle on myself and punish myself and then go tell the person. Like, I remember I swore in Catholic school once, and I felt so bad that I I went home and wrote a thousand times, I will not swear, on sheets of paper. And I went to my principal the next morning, and I handed her the sheets of paper, and I was like, I swore yesterday, if you want to give me detention, you can. I'm a terrible person. And I was, like, 10 years old, and she just kind of looked at me like, I, I think we're... I think we're good. <laughs> I don't I don't know how to respond to this. <laughs> but it's not like that. It's not about punishing myself. It's about finding out who I am, telling somebody else and telling my higher power so that I can come clean for myself and then growing from there. Turns out my higher power is not a sadist now. <laughs> so that was that was really good. I'm for me my higher power, yeah, he did know everything, but it wasn't about him knowing. It was about me wanting to be honest. Yeah. I guess I, I don't know if I, I thought about it in exactly that sense, but yeah, God knows. Mm. So it's not about God knowing. Mm. It's about you being willing to, to admit to it. And, and I'm reminded about what, what um, my sponsor says sometimes about prayer. He says, you know, prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes us. Mm -hmm. and, and I guess that's, you know, same thing. Kelly, <clears throat> you have any thoughts on uh, talking to God? Yeah, well, I th something that I thought of whilst I was talking again was, um, you know, I think this question really has to do with depending on what your idea of your higher power is, too. Mm -hmm. You know, if your higher power is not the traditional all-knowing boogeyman in the sky, mm -hmm. then then there may need to be some sort of more active participation in telling the information to God. For me... I I feel like it's an exercise in trust because to me, I mean, I, I guess on a certain level, I understand that my higher power sees and knows everything, but on another level, I feel like, I don't know if I, if I believe that, I don't know if I trust that. So I, I feel like 
to to me the part that's cathartic about giving this information to God, it's almost like now I have to trust two different entities. I have to trust my sponsor and I have to trust my higher power with this information. And, you know, like Swetha said, I have to trust that they're not going to, you know, make a weird face or (laughs) run away screaming or whatever. And so to me, God is kind of like a stepping stone between what's floating around inside my head and my sponsor. Like Mm -hmm. it's kind of a, a transition where, you know, obviously God is not going to run away screaming from me. (laughs) So if I can trust to that extent, then I can take it to the next level and trust my sponsor. Mm -hmm. What about you, Spencer? Well, I think you guys really sort of covered that for me pretty well. And, and, you know, there's this related question about why do we need to admit it to ourselves? I mean, we did a fourth step, right? I mean, didn't we kind of get there? And, and for me, you know, I think that's what I talked about, of, about going back through the fourth step and, and sort of pulling out the wrongs from the fourth step. That's a process of telling it to myself. Sort of making that list is, is the way I viewed it. And, and I think there's, there's, there's more to it. And there's a, there's a part of the reading in the, the AA 12 and 12 that talks about humility and about humility being really knowing ourselves for who we are and being willing to, to change. I think, you know, the sort of telling it to myself helps to come to that point of humility, that point of ownership, which is essential for step six and seven, really. And and maybe also really important for being able to tell it to another person, as you said. Mm-hmm. And so we've talked some about why the why is the, do we have to tell it to another person? What, what's the deal with that? And I don't know if you guys have any more observations on that. And also the sort of fears around that which you've talked about, so it's about being judged. Mm. And there's a particularly, if you're new in the program or relatively new in the program, you haven't done this before, what if the person that, that you're talking to takes your, takes your secrets and tells somebody else? I mean, mm-hmm. You know, there's some fear there potentially. And uh, how do you deal with that? No. Any thoughts? Actually, I wanted to mention something also about admitting wrongs to yourself. Yep. Yeah. I'm... When I wrote my fourth, I'm, I'm so good at compartmentalization and detaching from things. Not healthy, detach with love, but like <laughs> detach with denial. This is totally not happening. <laughs> and so when I was writing my um, fourth step down, I was dealing with some really uncomfortable feelings. So like that part of my brain just kind of shut down and I was just like making an, a list. I could have been making a grocery list for as attached to it as I was. And so... um that was sitting down and like really saying that this is, I, I think again for that, for me, that was intention, intending to be clean with my and clear with myself because I was really dishonest with myself in that way. And um, yeah, so I, I think that when I wanted to point that out is that was why I needed to admit the exact natures of wrongs to myself because I wanted to, I mean, it was important for me to do it with my higher power and important for another person too, but it was also important for me to say, you know, not only that I want to be clear with my higher power, I want to be clear with um, other people, but just giving myself that respect as well to say I want to be clean with myself and that I want to be honest with myself and um, that I want to have a, a good relationship with myself. And I think that starts mm-hmm. started with honesty and respect, mm-hmm. as it would, with, I think, any relationship. I wanted yeah. to comment on that too. I, I think for me, admitting these things to myself, both defects and assets Mm -hmm. was part of a step towards making them real, 
You know, there are a lot of deep, dark, hidden corners in my mind where I tuck things away and really could have the potential to just honestly tell myself that it never happened, you know, and if I, if I really have to put it down on paper and admit it to myself, it makes it more real and then I can actually tackle it. I can actually do something about it because it's this tangible thing now where before it was, you know, behind 16 locked doors and <laughs> no one was ever going to have access to it. So, <laughs> um, I also wanted to comment, Spencer, on what you said about the, the sponsor piece because I think we we briefly touched on this before we started recording, but I think, you know, I feel like no matter what the topic is, we talk about how the steps are in order, in the order that they're in for a reason. And I think the reason that the sponsorship piece comes in on the fifth step is that it gives you the first four steps to develop a relationship with that person and really come to trust them. Because trust was not something that I really had before the program, not on an intimate level. I mean, I would surface level trust you with like, you know, uh, I don't know how many tips I made at work that night or, you know, something like that, but, but not personal stuff, not things that were going on with me. And so I really needed those first four steps to work side by side with someone to get to know them. And to sort of, um, you know, test the waters, almost like you were saying, Swetha, in your fifth step, but as a very gradual process in individual meetings with my sponsor, I would kind of test her with these little nuggets of information <laughs> and then just wait and see if anything happened with it. <laughs> and it, nothing ever happened. So I felt like by the time it got to like the big stuff in the fifth step, I could really trust her with all of that information. So, Yeah. Yeah. When I uh, when I did my fifth step, I, I I feel like I I had no trust at all, it's Kelly. Like I mean, at least you trusted people with your tips. I'd be watching them like a hawk. <laughs> like maybe they didn't count it, and I'd like recount everything. <laughs> I do that. I find myself having that mode of thinking at work. Like I know he said he did this, but maybe I should just go back and check. I'm just gonna go ahead and check over his work and. Thankfully, it's a thought, and I realize I'm being a little crazy, and I have only eight hours a day where I need to do work, so I let that go. But even though I developed, I think, a trusting relationship with my sponsor to the extent that I was able to trust at that time, after I did my fifth step for a little while, I was like, crap, I hope she didn't tell anybody. <laughs> and there were two big meetings I went to that she also went to, and I'd kind of like look around and see if anybody was like pointing and laughing a little bit. <laughs> I, was, I mean, I was kind of scared. <laughs> like if they were giving me weird looks like that's that girl, don't, don't talk to her. She's, she's too sick, <laughs> but it didn't happen. And I think the fifth step in itself was an exercise in trust, like seeing that she wasn't, my sponsor wasn't running away from me and also that nobody knew. And yeah, the people in the program that have done the steps and are, are in a place to sponsor other people, Probably don't. I mean, I think gossip, um, gossip in that way and breaking people's trust was something that was a lot more common for me in my normal life with people that didn't have program and had a lot of insecurities and weren't honest with themselves and took other people's inventories. And coming into the program and realizing, I think that helped me help really cement the fact that the people in the program are are still human and they do have flaws, but that they are trying to get better and they've been there. So they're not, I mean, they've been on the other side of a fifth step. So they're probably not going to be doing any secret sharing or anything like that. So 
What about you, Spencer? Were you scared that your sponsor would snitch on you? <laughs> Actually, I want I want to circle back a sec to something Kelly said mm. about when she was talking about you know admitting it to yourself. And you talked about writing it down, mm. and that has been for me a a very important part of working the steps. That if I don't write it down, I'm not really working it. If I don't write down my inventory, if I don't write down my list of wrongs, if I just try to put it in my head, then that's me trying to deny it. That's me trying to hide it. That's me trying not to face it full on. Um, I have to write it down. And it doesn't really matter what I do with it after I write it down. It's the act of writing it down that makes me really more honest uh, and, and, and more complete about what I do. So the first time I did a fifth step, I did it well, I was working the steps with a small group, with an AWOL group, hmm. and I did not have a really close relationship with my sponsor at that time. I had a much closer relationship with the people in the, in the AWOL group. And as I said at the beginning, I kind of slacked on it. What I did was I said, well, I got this group here, and I've told them everything. And so that counts as telling another human being. And, you know, it worked for them. That's what I'll say. It worked for them. It got me through there. It got me into the following steps. And the result of that work was that, that my life got better, that I found serenity, that I was less crazy, that I was less controlling, and, and that some of my character defects started to fall away as, as a, you know, we're promised that they will. So it, you know, it worked for me at the time. Then the second time that I, I worked the steps, again, I was doing it with a group, but I also really wanted to, felt that I wanted, needed to do it with my sponsor, steps four and five with my sponsor. So at that point, I had, what, almost 10 years in the program, and so I really had that level of trust that I knew that my sponsor was not going to take my stuff and put it on blab Facebook. it to the end. Yeah, put it on <laughs> Facebook, exactly, right. And so it, it really wasn't an issue for me at that point. Now, what that also came down to picking a sponsor, mm. picking a sponsor that I felt that I could relate to and that I could trust. And then... My sponsor had some issues in his personal life and was not able to to sort of finish. He was we were doing a really long fifth step. He wanted to go into a lot of detail and everything. And we we were about halfway through my fifth step or something when he said, "You know, I really can't do this now. I, I've got I've got to deal with this other stuff that's going on in my life." And so then I was like, "Well, I still want to I want to finish my fifth step." And he said, "Well, maybe you should find somebody else to do it with." And so then it it. You know, then I'm back in that position, like, okay, now look around the room, you know. And uh, I picked somebody that that I felt I could trust. I picked somebody that um, I knew had had a fair amount of experience as a sponsor, and we did it again. There was no fear there. The real point of the step is not. I mean, yeah, it's about trust, but it's about, as Kelly said, it's about unloading that truck <laughs> full of stuff. <clears throat> And, and, you know, I've been on the other end of that, not necessarily in a formal fifth step, but like in Al-Anon phone calls where somebody calls me and, and unloads what's happening in their life. And their stuff doesn't hurt. It's not my stuff. Right. I don't have to carry it. I guess you've talked a little bit about your experience of doing your first fifth step. Well, how did it feel afterwards? <laughs> Great question. Well... <laughs> What had happened was I was terrified that I didn't do the perfect fifth step. 
So I did my fourth step again, and then did it, like right after I did my fourth and fifth step, I did my fourth and fifth step, and uh, and then I was still scared that I didn't fin- do enough the fifth step. And as I was, as my sponsor I, was, I, getting, I gotta ask, yeah, is perfectionism on your list of? Why would you think that, Spencer? That's ridiculous. <laughs> as my sponsor, I remember as my sponsor was leaving, we were both leaving to get in our car, and I was like. Wait, 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 I need to tell you one more thing. Wait, what if I forgot something? She's like, you could just call me. It's, it's going to be okay. <laughs> It'll be fine. And I, I remember thinking that was all, like, I remember the things that I told her. I felt immediately relieved. And then I was like, wait, what if I go home tonight and there's stuff I didn't tell her and then it's going to weigh super heavily on me because now all this other stuff's gone. And so, so no, I've never had perfectionism on my list of defects. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but uh, it was it was relieving, and one thing that I really liked that that kind of helped me get through the fourth step both times and <laughs> the fifth step both times was that my sponsor did say, you know, this isn't the last fourth step that you're ever going to do. Little did she know when she told me that for my first fourth step, it was going to be very true very immediately. <laughs> but um, it isn't going to be the last fourth step I do. I'm I do fourth steps all the time and I mean I did I did one last week and um, it's not necessarily like cleaning out all of my stuff from all of my life but it's little things that I need to work on and I'm going to do a fourth step again like a, a full huge fourth step again I'm hoping this year and it's okay that I skipped a couple of things not like hopefully not intentionally <laughs> but um, if I missed it I can fourth step with her next week or later this year and it'll be fine. And I, I really liked what you were saying, Spencer, about why you picked the sponsor that you did. And I hear a lot of people saying that they listened to their sponsor share and um, and that they found someone that, you know, their story kind of resonated. I um, The reason I picked the sponsor I did is because I used to go to brunch, like a women's Al-Anon brunch nearby. And I actually, one of my friends came to visit and um, she has no program and she has all the people in her life, or a lot of the people in her life are alcoholics. And I saw her kind of um, word vomit all sorts of stuff And during this brunch. And uh, the person that, that I later asked to be my sponsor was there, and she was listening. And she wasn't judging her or anything. She was just kind of taking it in and accepting it. I was judging the hell out of my friend. <laughs> I was like, my God, what are you doing? <laughs> Please, for the love of God, stop You're embarrassing talking. me. Uh, yeah, exactly, right? But look what you're doing to me. What are these people going to think about me when you leave? Um, but I noticed that my um, sponsor didn't, like, sit there and uh, egg her on, and she didn't also, like, condemn her. She just kind of took it in and was like, okay, that's just, okay. And, um, and I thought... I'm not embarrassed to be in front of this woman <laughs> after my friends leave or after my friend leaves and um, and she's handling this really well and uh, I know I can be that crazy for sure. So um, right after that brunch, as we were walking out, I chased her down. <laughs> and, um, the woman that I asked to be my sponsor, not my friend. <laughs> and, um, and I was like, I remember like how scared I was I mean I remember when I was in uh, school and I was asked out on my first date and the guy like kept you know staring at his feet and being super awkward and I was like geez just get over with already what's wrong with you and uh, (laughs) karma came back to bite me in the ass (laughs) and uh, I was like oh my god what if she says no I didn't even think about this for too long and oh my god and 
And I asked her, and she was like, oh, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> but so that's it's, it's probably good you didn't have too long to think about it. <laughs> exactly. Right? I would have tried to word it perfectly, written some drafts of how I'd ask her. Um, but also what ended up happening was um, when, I, when we first met, she, she told me her story, and it turned out to be something that I really did resonate with, which I totally account to a higher power moment. Um, and, uh, and I kind of did what you were saying, Kelly, earlier, that when um, you met with your sponsor the first few times, you like shot in little nuggets of this is how <laughs> this stuff has happened. And uh, again, I noticed that my sponsor did not egg me on or condemn me, kind of like she didn't do with my friend. And I wasn't embarrassed to see her the next time. So that all seemed like good signs. And yeah, so and she's still my sponsor. <laughs> and she hasn't run away screaming. So I take that as a really good sign also. But that's, I mean, it seems like, um, yeah, the, it's a lot about how that, for me, it was a lot about how the person conducted themselves and how, I mean, even when I couldn't trust anyone, I did feel safe talking to this person. Mm -hmm. And I felt like it was someone I could go to. So I think we've all done a fifth step with our sponsor. Mm -hmm. Am I the only one who also did a fifth step with somebody who was not my sponsor? I kind of do one with like my the three of therapist <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> okay. Okay. No, because because when you know reading like in the uh, in the past recovery and talking about the step, you know, it talks about picking the person to whom you're going to share, and so, you know, a lot of people pick their sponsor, but you know, some people it might be the therapist, mm -hmm. it might be a priest, mm -hmm. and so I just wondered if you'd had any experience picking somebody who's not your sponsor, or maybe picking somebody who's not in the program, and, and a therapist might be an example of that. I guess I don't know. I have, I guess I didn't really consider it a fifth step at the time, but I guess I did do a couple fifth steps with the woman who is now my sponsor, but at the time that we had the conversations, she wasn't, but my sponsor was unavailable. And this person I was familiar with, she knew my story. She knew the, you know, the whole background. So I didn't have to take all of that time kind of explaining everything over again, but I mean, and these are, are many fourth steps and, and fifth steps that I'm talking about, like just kind of like Swetha mentioned earlier, like just talking about a specific circumstance that's happening, and I just need to work through that one thing. But both of the women that I picked, you know, really to me embodied a lot of the the feelings and the behaviors that I didn't get growing up. And I don't want to get too like psychobabbly inner child -y. Um, but you know, I think for me, the, the, when I think about the situation that I grew up in, it sort of facilitated the lack of trust. And so when I was looking for someone to share my deepest, darkest secrets with, I wanted someone who was kind of, you know, the antithesis of those feelings, you know, somebody who was calm and serene and who smiled a lot and who didn't have to talk all the time and who, what seemed patient and kind and understanding. And so like, you know, like you said, Spencer, I mean, that could be anybody that could be a, a religious leader that could be a therapist, you know, somebody who sort of just embodies those things that you're, that, that for me, that I was looking to get, that was the place I wanted to get to where, where I saw these women were coming from. I also <clears throat> wanted to share a quick story too, because <clears throat> I have done a lot of fifth steps with, sponsees. And Spencer, you asked the question earlier, how did you feel when you were done with your fifth step? And honestly, I don't personally, I don't really remember how I felt when I was done. 
which probably means it's time to do another one. <laughs> and Spencer is smiling at me, so I'm guessing that it's, he's affirming that thought. <laughs> um, I do remember distinctly one sponsee, and I want to preface this by saying that, and we kind of talked this, about this in the fourth step podcast too, but for some reason, this fourth and fifth step process gets really built up in everyone's mind. Like it's this monumental moment and this huge event and this massive undertaking, which in a sense it is, but like we just, at least, I'm sorry, not all of us, but a lot of the people that I know have the capacity to turn this into this gigantic thing. And so I remember it was a beautiful sunny day. We were sitting on the swings at a park and we're working our way through this, the end of the blueprint and it, and we get to the last topic. And, you know, I'm like, okay, that was great. Good job. You know, like you're done with your fifth step. And she looked at me and she was like, I really thought that I would feel better. Like I thought that I would feel this like weight lifted. And I was just like, oh, shit. <laughs> Did we do this wrong? I mean, it wasn't the first fifth step that I had done with a sponsee. But, you know, to me, it was just reflective of that idea that, you know, we we make this into such a huge event that then there is potential to have this expectation that when we're done, it's going to be like, you know, a snake shedding its skin, like you're just going to have this visible, like something leaving you, you know, and, and for her, she didn't have that. And so I was like, I was trying not to feel responsible for that. But, you know, I just found it interesting that, that she had that thought like, oh, I, th I thought I would feel better all of a sudden. <laughs> I've noticed that in the program, when I came into the rooms, everybody would talk about how hard the fourth and fifth steps were, which is inventory and confessing. And then the eighth and ninth, which is writing a list of the people you need to make an amends to and then making the amends. No one told me how hard the sixth and seventh steps were. <laughs> Those were the hardest steps for me. Like lists, I'm all about lists already. <laughs> I mean, I would have had that stuff color coded so fast. I arranged it in order of discomfort. I was like, let's do this. Microsoft Excel, let's go. <laughs> but sixth and seventh were, um, I mean, I did feel relief after my fifth step, but I think the real um, weight lifted was after six and seven, where it was six as um, became willing, became became ready. Help me out, guys. <laughs> became we're entirely ready. ready to we're have entire, yes. And in order to do that, I had to be. I, I wanted to. I had to be accepting of myself for me to become ready. And then the next one, seven, is to humbly ask God to remove these defects of character, and in very fine print, on His own time. And that, <laughs> that, part, that part required a lot of faith. <laughs> I want patience, and uh, I want it now. <laughs> Preach it, Spencer. <laughs> and so accepting myself was really hard, and then accepting that I could continue to be a flawed person until mm -hmm. my higher power chose to remove those defects was awful. And because I needed to be perfect straight away. I had done the work. Damn it. I needed to be perfect. I was done. But, um, sitting with the fact that I was, have, I have been flawed and then sitting with the fact that I will continue to be flawed and then learning to just let go of that and just be like, okay, I'm human. Shit. Here we go. <laughs> Those were the hardest parts for me. So uh, actually, I want to reflect a little bit on this. Uh, we build up steps four and five and, and steps eight and nine. And, mm -hmm. I think for me, and, and I can only speak from my own experience, obviously, mm -hmm. when I looked at the 12 steps <clears throat> and I looked at step four, I had some idea what what that was about. 
-hmm. I had a vision of what it would be like to do that. Mm -hmm. I knew, and I'm going to put that in quotes, new air quotes. (laughs) Okay. I knew that it was going to be uncomfortable. I knew it was going to be me uncovering things, uncovering because, Hey, they're me. Okay. But Mm -hmm. you know, admitting to things that I didn't want to admit to and, and step five, Step five was going to be awful because I was going to have to tell somebody else all this stuff, okay? And I was going to be so embarrassed and ashamed and all that. And and so I already had this picture in my head of what they were going to be like. And they were going to be like something I didn't want to do. Right. Okay, and so that's why it gets built up also because step four, I mean, honest to God, the blueprint for recovery is daunting. (laughs) Okay? Mm -hmm. You know, you pick that thing up and you say, it's got 90 pages, Okay, there's like hundreds of questions in there that I'm going to have to answer. It's a lot of work. One page at a time, Spencer. (laughs) But I'm just saying, I'm just saying, you're right. You're absolutely right. One page at a time, one question at a time. For me, it was one hour at a time. Yeah. Okay, however much I get done in the hour is how much I get done. And then I'll, you know, I'll work on it again next week and I'll get another hour's worth of work done next week. That was, that was my schedule. But looking at it from from the beginning, looking yeah. ahead and saying, I know what's going to be involved here, and this is not something I want to do. And I think that's one of the reasons. The same thing with eight and nine. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, made a list. Okay, I don't make a list. But all the people that I've harmed, I mean, damn. Okay, I don't, again, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about the bad things I've done. It's going to be work, and I can visualize the work. Mm. Step nine, wow, I can visualize that. That is going to be really, really uncomfortable. I'm going to have to go to these people and say, I did this thing and, I, and, and I'm going to fix it. I'm sorry. And I'm going to amend my behavior so it won't happen again or whatever. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. <clears throat> okay. I mean, especially at the beginning of the program. So you look ahead and you say, you, you know, you can see these like, these huge mountains on the horizon that you're going to have to get through somehow. And, and you know, it turns out maybe, well, maybe there's a pass through there and they're really beautiful while you're going through them. But, mm-hmm. you know, from, from far away, it doesn't look so good. Especially um, when you think it's their problem, not yours. Oh, my God. Oh my God. I'm going to have to apologize to my alcoholic? Forget it. <laughs> not happening. They're the um, sick one. Why do I have to do the work? Exactly. I feel like the my, sick one. Why do I have to do the work? But I know the first time through, I did not experience like the full power of six and seven. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of answered the questions and said, okay, did those. Um, the second time through. In the through, tan, tan book? In the tan book, yeah. Oh, yeah. The second time through, I really experienced step six and seven and, and, and understood the real power. And But for me, I think probably the hardest steps were actually steps two and three. Step two is came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And step three is made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Those were the ones that really required the most work in me mm-hmm. to get to a real understanding and application of the step to my life. Mm-hmm. And that was not something I would have anticipated. Uh, I mean, at the beginning, it was like, God, what's that? You know, there was a lot of work there. And, and that is work that has been ongoing. I mean, you know, you talk about going back and doing another step four and doing another step five, but that's a process. You do it, you're done. There's a certain amount of work and, and you do it and you're through it. For me, step three is something, steps two and three are something that happens Every day, every day, there's work. There's there's a new a new <clears throat> insight, a new understanding, a new um, depth every day for me. And and so, I really think that that if I look back over my time in the program, that that that's the place that really I've done the most work. But it's been a little bit at a time, and it's mm-hmm. been building on itself. So I know that I 
have technically done two four steps, but um, not. I know that you guys have been in the program a lot longer than I have, and I. Uh, how, how have you guys felt about your fifth step more recently? Your more recent fifth steps. You know, usually the types of problems that I'm bringing to my sponsor now in terms of the fourth and fifth step are really situations that, you know, that deal directly with my alcoholic and that I really have a hard time seeing, A, what my part in it is, and B, what kind of action I can take that's appropriate. So I guess for me, that's now the purpose of the fifth step is to like Spencer said, I still write it down. I have to write it down because if if I just rely on the thoughts swirling around in my head, it, it, it doesn't function. So I've got to write it down. And then I can get some clarity from a third party who <clears throat> is not in any way involved in the situation. She's not attached to the outcome. She's not, there's no emotional investment. You know, it's just her thoughts on what program tools can help me figure it out. So it it doesn't have the same effect, I guess, to me that doing the giant blueprint and really unloading the dump truck had, but it definitely still gives me the clarity that I'm looking for. What about you, Spencer? Recently, I did another full fourth step and fifth step. Um, and I think I might've talked about this in our fourth step episode, but the reason that I decided to do that was sitting in meetings and hearing people talk and those that triggering memories of, of stuff that was not on my first fourth step and fifth step. It was just totally not there, that I hadn't seen at all, that I hadn't remembered, that I had uh, when I was doing the fourth step the first time. And there was enough of that that I thought, you know, I really need to to go through the whole process. Because, you know, honestly, I mean, I did my first fourth and fifth step when I had about a year in the program, maybe not even quite when I started my fourth step. And I was still in that, the fog, the fog that came from trying to fix somebody's alcoholism and, and that whole irritable and unreasonable and, and, and distorted thinking from forcing solutions and all that good stuff. Another eight years went by and, and I could see a lot more stuff and I could see more clearly and maybe I was more willing to see. And also, as I, as I mentioned, you know, the things that had loomed huge in that I could never ever tell anybody about this were now, oh yeah, okay. You know, whoop, I did this. Okay. Done. And so the second time through the fourth step, I, I, I feel like I, I found a lot of stuff that I didn't find the first time. And I was also able to see that some of the stuff that had been big the first time through was a lot smaller now, and that was good. And also, as I said, the, the first time I really didn't do a formal sit down with somebody and just go through my list thing with for the fifth step. And so I really needed to do that this time. So, the, you know, that was sort of the difference for me. Was it, it, And the reason that I, that I went and did a second one, I needed that new inventory from my new position of clarity. And I needed to do, really do this is all my stuff with, with some, you know, with God, myself and somebody else. I think we probably all have heard somebody else's fifth step. I wondered if you'd be willing to reflect on how that, how that works for you. What maybe what you do when you're hearing a fifth step, how did it feel hearing your first fifth step? 
I don't know, those are all questions that, that uh, you know, people might be interested, who, maybe who haven't done a fifth step or have never um, received somebody else's fifth step, might be helpful to hear. Well, I think for me, it's definitely about being present. You know, I have to think about it from their perspective and probably how nervous and anxious they are. And so if I'm not in a place where I can be present for them and I'm distracted and I'm looking around and which is pretty easy for me to do in a public place, you know, I feel like that almost gives them the impression that I'm not paying attention or that it's not important. And to them, it's super important. It's huge. You know, this is their inner deepest, darkest moments that they're trying to share with me. And if I, if I can't be present for them, you know, I feel like it, I don't know, like it has the potential to sort of ruin that trust that we've built up, you know? So, so for me, it's definitely an exercise in being present. I mean, I, I feel like it's important for me to prepare before I go to listen to a fifth step. Like I can't, I can't do it in the middle of the workday, for example. I can't like go from doing 20 things at once to stopping to have, you know, a couple hours of Zen while I listen to someone's fifth step and then jump right back into it. And I'm sure that there are people who are fully capable of doing that. It's just not where I'm at right now. So, you know, I, and I think the, the, to me, the location is important and it, it's really depends on the person. Some people, are very, very private. And so to go sit at a Starbucks and have them talk about, you know, their inner demons is maybe not comfortable for them. So, you know, I feel like it's important to let them choose the location or to to make sure that I know them well enough to know whether they're comfortable or not. I mean, for me, I did the first half, half of my fifth step at a coffee shop because I just don't care. You know, I figure I'm never going to see most of those people again. They're probably not listening to our conversation anyway. Like, I didn't really care. So, yeah, I mean, for me, I really have to. I feel like I I don't have to. I want to give them the respect they deserve by listening to them because that's something that I didn't feel like I got before the program. I didn't feel respected. I didn't feel listened to. And so I feel like it's, you know, it's my job as a sponsor to to do that for them. Yeah, I think that's. That's really important. And uh, I know the first time I received a fifth step, the person who was doing their fifth step was a really organized person. Sort of like Seth, I guess. You know, <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> no, it was not. It was not. This was years ago. You know, had a notebook with everything written down and organized in like the order that they were going to do it in. And we did it at their house. And so that gets sort of to the, you know, the sort of privacy issue or whatever. So there were no distractions. We sat face-to-face so I could focus. And then I had a couple of guys who uh, were, as we sometimes say, double winners, meaning they had come into Al-Anon program after having been in in another 12-step program. So they were sort of working through the steps again with me in Al-Anon, and it was sort of secondary for them. And so as far as the the fifth step went, you know, they were kind of like, I've, I did this before, but we'll, we'll go through and do this, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think we just, we just did those in, in a coffee shop, uh, like you said. And, and you know, it's interesting, like, oh, my God, people are going to be hearing what I'm saying. And, and, you know, after a couple of times, it's like, you know, they're not paying attention. And, <laughs> and even if they are, I mean, I hear people talking about stuff in coffee shops, like, I'm like, really? <laughs> uh, but then you forget about it, right? Exactly. You yeah. don't know the person. Mm-hmm. And uh, you don't know who they're talking about. And, and you just go away. But it, 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 
it also, I mean, to be the recipient of that level of trust for me is, is still kind of an amazing experience that somebody really trusts me enough to, to, yeah. you know, as you say, tell me their deepest, darkest secrets, mm -hmm. whatever they might be. So I thought, do you have uh, any reflections on this? Yeah. Kelly, uh, kind of like what you were saying, when I grew up, I wouldn't tell anybody anything about anything because uh, there was a lot of immediate judgment and a, a need to, f like, uh, the, my family would need to fix it straight away. And it was, there. It, it didn't seem like a safe thing. And listening to somebody's fifth step actually is is really nice because I was able to just, like you said, just be present and, and just be there for them rather than try to fix it for them mm. and just hold space for them to feel comfortable and just talk. And uh, it also helps me a lot with my program because I can sit there and realize I don't need to fix this. They're just telling me their fifth step. That's, that's all it is. And um, I don't have to absorb it. It's not my thing. And... Um, and, and that's really nice, actually, to be able to give that to other people when I wasn't able to receive that myself when I was growing up, which mm -hmm. gives me an opportunity to be that way. It, when I'm that way with someone else, I'm able to be that way more towards myself. Like when I right. when I do my inventory and I'm reading it out to myself, I'm like, oh, my God, you're such a bastard, Swetha. <laughs> but when, you're, when I'm listening to it from the perspective of a sponsor – I'm able to have a lot of compassion for the person mm -hmm. that's saying these things. And I'm like, oh, you know, that's, that's just, they're, they're human. This is just how it is. And that's okay. And doing that for them helps me be more accepting and compassionate to myself and, and be able to do those same things for myself when I do my own inventories. I think that you talked about compassion is interesting too, because, you know, looking back, I've done someone's entire fifth step in about 45 minutes. And I did another one that took about six and a half hours broken into a couple different sessions. So, you know, I think it's also important from both sides, sponsor or sponsee, or, you know, even if it's not a sponsor, whoever you're talking to, to, to be respectful of both people's limits. You know, mm. it's a lot of intense information to take on. And, there's only so much of that I can personally handle and there's only so much I think that I can give or that they can give or that they can hear, you know? So I think it's important to, to know somebody well enough to be able to state my limits and to respect their limits too. That it's, you know, it's not about rushing through it just to get done. Like you talk about as much as you can handle that day. And then if you have to carry it on to a second session, you do just, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Any last thoughts? Um, the fifth step was awesome. I'm totally looking forward to doing it again in a formal <laughs> thing as opposed to specific issues. It was very helpful. I think something we didn't really touch on is I feel like, and Spencer, maybe you did briefly touch on it, but in, in the program, in meetings, I often hear that the fourth and fifth step are the steps at which people gain the most growth in the program. Mm. So my last thought is if you haven't done your fourth and fifth step, do it because you'll feel Just much better. Do Just do it. <laughs> Just do it. And there's a lot of different ways to do it. Yes. Yeah. And they're all right. Um, I want to close again with a reading from the uh, Alcoholics Anonymous 12 and 12, uh, 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. This vital step was also the means by which we began to get the feeling that we could be forgiven no matter what we had thought or done. Often, it was while working on this step that we first felt truly able to forgive others. 
It was only when we resolutely tackled step five that we inwardly knew we'd be able to receive forgiveness and give it too. After a short break, we'll be back with our lives in recovery, where we talk about the meetings we attend and what's happening in our lives. Swetha, you want to introduce the music? Yes, the next song is uh, Big Branch by Gangster Grass, featuring, I, I think, I don't know how to pronounce her name, it's Tamasia or Tamasia. And uh, I really liked this song because, because well, first of all, it has bluegrass with rap. What's not to like about that? <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs> In the song, this girl sings about how her her father was a coal miner and and how it was a really dangerous job. And she, she seemed to be a little bit resentful about that. And then she goes grows up having these feelings and then goes on to work in a meth lab, which is also a really dangerous job. And the chorus of the song is, who's the outlaw? Quick on the draw. Cast the first stone if you don't have a flaw. Who goes to jail? Who lives above the law? White collar, black market, who's rich, who's poor? And it just kind of gives me, well, the fact that history kind of repeated itself in her life reminded me a lot of my fourth step. And also the chorus reminds me about not judging and, and just realizing that this that people are flawed. Every, there are lots of sides to every story. And uh, that, that just speaks to the fifth step to me entirely. So here we go. Who's the outlaw? Click on the draw. Cast the first stone if you don't have a flaw. Who fills the jails? Who lives above the law? White collar, black market. Who's rich? Who's poor? Never knew my father cause he worked all day Left the house sundown, that's the coal miner's way The pay was real good, he made 70k But it wasn't worth all the things he had to give away His father did the same thing, same type Took everything he had until it took his life When I lost my grandfather, I was 7 years old Decided then and there, I would never mind coal That plus the dust on everything in our home A quarter inch thick on every single thing we own But that was nothing Compared to what we couldn't see Toxic particles in the air we had to breathe He tried so hard to be relocated His boss wouldn't do it and my mom was devastated He started a petition and everyone enlisted Till he lost his job and he got blacklisted Who's the outlaw? Click on the draw Cast the first stone if you don't have a flaw Who fills the jails? Who lives above the law? White collar, black market, who's rich, who's poor? So who's the outlaw? Click on the draw Cast the first stone if you don't have a flaw who lives above the law, white collar, black market, who's rich, who's poor? During this time I got to know my dad He would tell me stories about the job he had It's the culture around here and it makes people proud Basically it's pretty much the only job around He told me how they took apart the ventilation system Sent two men instead of one to speed up the production They knew it wasn't safe but they followed the instructions 100 feet of coal a day that was their only function No matter if it took 12 hours or 16 They took shortcuts to keep the operation lean Skipping safety measures made it risky for the team But they all knew the deal so nobody intervened When inspectors came, watchdogs would let them know Add out their dust pumps so the levels read low The more violations, the more production grows Someone dies from black lung every time the wind blows Who's the outlaw? Click on the draw Cast the first stone if you don't have a flaw Who fills the jails? Who lives above the law? White collar, black market, who's rich, who's poor? So who's the outlaw? In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery. What's happening in our meetings and in our lives this week? Swetha? I got to one meeting this week. Uh, I've been having a really busy time at work, and so by the time I get home, the meeting's already started. 
And it was the Wednesday meeting, and we had this really great lead. I, I really like the thing I really like about meetings is that we always hear what we want to hear. So later, when mean what we need, we hear. need to hear. Yeah, yeah we need to hear. <laughs> we're ready to hear. Um, and you know, when whenever we the three of us talk about the same meeting, I'm like, I don't know where you two were. <laughs> I did not even know that. Um, but in this meeting this week, I, I heard about this woman talking about her inner child, and I heard some things about shame and, thing, and uh, things like that and how she handled it and, and being gentle with herself. And I really resonated with that. I've been dealing with a lot of stuff with shame, and hence the fourth stuff I did last week. Mm-hmm. While I was unable to attend meetings, I do go online and listen to open talks, whether that's AA open talks or Al-Anon open talks or recovered show <laughs> podcasts or even the podcast from this show, so long as I'm not, well, I wasn't one of the hosts. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's, so that really helps keep me on my program because even though, even though the, I'm, even though I'm not an AA, I, it's the same 12 steps and it feels, I mean, it, it feels like a, a lot of the stuff that they're dealing with, that the speakers are dealing with, is stuff that I definitely resonate with, dishonesty or self-centeredness. And it's so easy to tell someone else that they're dishonest and self-centered. Mm. <laughs> but then hearing it on my own and reson- and putting those headphones in and realizing I'm the only one like just kind of tuning into this is really, is really good for me. I, was, I met with my sponsor also, and that was really good for my program, and I met with a couple of sponsees. What about uh, Kelly? I also went to the Wednesday night meeting. And what I really loved is that th- the topic was the fist up. And the speaker started off her lead by saying that she initially didn't think that she was capable of doing the lead because she hadn't done her fifth step yet in al And then she went on to give this really amazing lead. Yeah. And so I thought that was great. You know, I think sometimes we especially in that meeting, because we do a step a month, that I notice when it gets to the later months of the year, the sharing sort of really dies down. Because I think a lot of people have this misconception that, well, I can't share about if I haven't, air quotes, done the step yet. But I think, you know, what, and the way that she explained it was that it was a really great opportunity for her to read some information about that step and sort of learn about it. And and she did a great job. She actually shared... um. Uh, dang it. What's it called again? Not an anagram. Acronym. Acronym. (laughs) An acronym for shame. Like Swetha said, that was one of the topics that she touched on. And the acronym was should have already mastered everything. And that really stuck with me. I mean, I, I just thought that was like, oh man, like, (laughs) yes, I totally get that. So that was a great meeting. And then I also went to the Friday night meeting, Young at Heart, and it was Daily Reader Week, and the topic was about how important it is to share our story at the meeting. (laughs) (laughs) And about... 10 minutes before the end of the meeting, the person sitting next to me started like whispering in my ear and giving me a hard time about how she hasn't heard me share in a meeting in a long time. So that part was interesting, but the rest rest of the meeting was, was really great. And it, it's just a good reminder that, you know, there's a lot of people sharing about humility and about feeling like, you know, they want to share, but they're not sure if they've been there long enough or they're not sure if, 
what they have to say is relevant to anybody else. So it was, it was really good to, to hear that topic as well. And then I did not go to the open AA meeting, uh, last night, but I did get together with a couple of sponsees and like Swetha said, that's always really helpful to kind of get me through the week. So what about you, Spencer? Well, I was traveling. I actually left home last Friday, so I missed my Friday meeting. I missed my Sunday meeting. I missed my Wednesday meeting. I missed doing the podcast. Well, we did it Thursday night right before I left, so that <laughs> helped. Uh, and uh, and I missed the Friday meeting this week. And I realized that when I'm traveling, I probably should be going to a meeting every day, <laughs> at least traveling with family. you know. And it came around to, I think, on Tuesday, and... And uh, my wife and I were kind of snapping at each other. Anyway, so so we got to a meeting, uh, went to a noon meeting on Wednesday. In uh, I was in down in the Phoenix area, and the uh, the topic of this meeting, which was relatively small meeting, you know, noon, right, was off the daily reading, which begins, yes, but, <laughs> and the the reading was was about acceptance, and one of the. Uh, one of the people around the table shared that her mother told her, when you say but, it negates everything that came before it. So when you say yes, but, the yes doesn't count. So that was good. It was, it was you know, I needed acceptance. And it's funny because when, when I was heading out on the trip, I had had no sleep the night before because I was, you know, up late editing the podcast and packing. And, and then it was like four in the morning and I figured, well... I got to be at the airport at like seven, so I'll just stay up because if I go to sleep, I might not get to the airport at seven. <laughs> when I had to change planes, which I usually try to get non stops, and it wasn't able to this time, and but I was just really chill, you know. I'm like, oh, there's a big line of people waiting to get on the plane. Okay, I'll just stay in here, and you know, we'll I'll get there when I get there. And that didn't last very long after I got there. I have to say, <laughs> something about other people. Like other people that are meaningful in your life are a lot harder to deal with than other people that are not meaningful in your life, right? Mm-hmm. But it was a good trip. The reason for the trip was that my uh, son was graduating from college, so I got to see him get his his bachelor's degree and uh, then uh, move him out and bring him back home for the summer, and he's going off to grad school in the fall. So lots of changes happening in his life. And it was kind of weird this morning waking up and hearing another person in the house. <laughs> to get used to that again, and then there's going to be another one home next week. So, wow. uh, so that's what's going on in my life. And uh, man, I, 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 when I got to the airport last night, I, you know, well, you guys know, I, I texted both Swetha and Kelly saying, <laughs> "Wow, I'm at the Detroit airport now. I'm really looking forward to tomorrow morning." Because <laughs> 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 ah, I needed it. <laughs> okay. So that was my week. And uh, next week, the topic is going to be the slogan, This Too Shall Pass. So we welcome your thoughts. You can join the conversation. You can leave us a voicemail or an email with your experience or your questions about the topic, This Too Shall Pass. Hey, Kelly, how can people send us feedback? Well, you can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Just put the podcast on pause and join the conversation at 734 734- 707-8795. And if you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at therecoveryshow.com. And we would love to hear from you. Please share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic of step five, or next week's topic of this too shall pass. 
And if you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, please let us know that too. Uh, Swetha, where can our listeners find out more about The Recovery Show? Our website, therecoveryshow.com, has all the information about the show, including the notes for each episode, a blog with daily meditations, links to the music we play, and a page to which we periodically post recordings of Alan on Open Talk speakers. We've also got a few links to other recovery podcasts and websites that we like. You can contribute to the content of the podcast and the website by leaving comments on the show notes or on the blog. Just hop on over to therecoveryshow.com and enter the conversation there. Hey, and we had some feedback this week. Um, We had a really nice review on iTunes. Kelly, you want to read that uh, review? Yeah, it says, This is such an amazing service you guys are doing. I have downloaded and subscribed to the podcast. Meetings are great. However, this is great if you need hope at any time of the day or night. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Dia. Donna gave us a, a comment on the website. Dear TRS gang, let me first say that I am so grateful to have found your podcast. I love the intelligent introspection and honesty you each exhibit. I tell all my Al-Anon friends about the show. I'm still catching up on the episodes, but just finished listening to the shame episode. It really resonated with me, especially when Nick said, an infant must swallow what it, what it is fed. I thought I'd already dealt with the shame I was brought up with, but now I realize it's an ongoing process. Thanks for making me aware of Brené Brown and Anne Lamott's work as well. The website is beautiful and inspiring. I'll keep coming back. Thanks so much, Donna. We really appreciate it. And uh, Patrick uh, responded to our Parents Roundtable episode, uh, number 22, by asking if we might think about doing one featuring siblings of alcoholics and addicts. And, you know, there's a whole there's a whole set of, uh, of possibilities there. You know, the three of us are in very similar situations uh, relative to our alcoholics and addicts. And so we, we do need to bring in people with, with other experiences. And that's, we did that for the parents roundtable because uh, we got a number of emails and so on from, from people who were parents and were struggling with, you know, sort of balancing their responsibility as parents was what the program was telling them to do about letting go and detaching and so on. And, and so we, we, we brought in people who, who were able to share that perspective. And I think this is something we want to keep doing, siblings, uh, children of alcoholics, adult children of alcoholics, and, uh, and so on. I know somebody asked about bringing in people who are living with active addiction and, uh, and having them talk about that experience. Uh, so we're going to keep on doing it and uh, we'll look forward to it. It was, it was a really fun thing to do, and we'll do it again. Let's see. Some of the features on the website, we've got a page of, of uh, book recommendations with links off to like Amazon or the al website where you can buy the books. And if you buy a book from Amazon through one of those links, uh, we get a little bit of a commission from Amazon. It helps to support the podcast. We've also got a page where we're um, taking music suggestions. If you think you've got a, a you know a, a piece of music really strikes you as being relevant to um, any topic uh, related to recovery, uh, or just speaks to you in, in in some way about something that's going on in your life, uh, we'd love to hear about it. We're always looking for suggestions. Uh, we we pull our friends around here for suggestions. Uh, <laughs> the more ideas we can get, the better. So go on over there. I think we only got a couple things up there right now, but uh, you can help us fill it up. And uh, finally, uh, also in, in aid of supporting the podcast, we do have a donation basket uh, button on the website. Our expenses do run about $30 a month, and uh, you know we're happy to keep on doing that. Uh, any help you can give us will help us to make the podcast better and more accessible. And, and thanks uh, for, the, for the iTunes review, because that also helps to make us more visible to somebody who's looking for recovery. So we're going to close the show with the song, If the Law Don't Want You. It's sung by Nora Jones. It's actually uh, was written by somebody else whose name I can't remember right now. 
Uh, this was suggested to us by Donna. Uh, she said, this song is about always choosing the bad boy, which has been one of my issues. And me, to me, more generally, when I look at that song, it's a, it's about sort of being um, self-aware of of who you are and, and how you are. And that's what the fifth step is all about. It's about that, that self-awareness, that um, acceptance of ourselves. And, uh, and from there, then we can begin to change. I love to see them straw dogs round my door Come sneaking round my skirt tail looking for more If you ain't running from the past You ain't making my heart beat fast You ain't chugging your paycheck You ain't hugging on my neck Well I've been looking for trouble from the get them cowboys back where I come from won't quit Cutting up tires on an oyster shell Siren screaming and it's running like hell Mama's on the front porch staring him down Leaders at the beauty shop coming unwell If the Lord don't want you, neither do I Ain't got no time to waste my shine On a puppet with a clip on tie if the Lord don't want you, well, neither do I. I hired that boy to cut my grass. Nailed in a shingle, but he couldn't get past. Staring at the bottom of his low slung pants. He says he's gonna take me to the big buck dance. Well, if the Lord don't want you, neither do Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time. I used to run wild down in Mexico Hair jacked up and necklines plunging low Some snake hip shirt rip giving me lip Rifling my purse and stealing my tips There's something about a man can't affect that lean